to the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons. Now, with the borders opening and the idea of golf travel getting back on agendas everywhere, we thought it would be a good idea to speak to an expert in that space. But before we get on with the dreams, how is it that someone gets involved in the golf travel business in the first place? Well, to answer this question, tell his story and to get us all dreaming of our next big adventure, we're pleased to welcome Steve Barron from CGE. Steve, welcome on board. Thank you, Phil. Uh, lovely to be here and uh, great to talk with you and your listeners. Um, let's get straight into it. Um, because I know from our previous conversations that you were in a previous life an accountant. How does, an accountant, right. how does an accountant become a golf travel guru? Well, that's an interesting journey. Uh, I organised uh, a golf group of 12 mates for from probably 15 years, and uh, every year we played for the pink jacket and uh, we travelled along the Murray. We started to do a few interstate trips and in my accounting practice, I had uh, a number of golf pros as clients from uh, trainee pros going up to some PGA Tour players. And uh, I had a succession plan in my accounting practice, and I thought, what am I going to do post-golf? And the people in the golf industry were pretty much too busy to organise golf trips, and people in travel didn't understand golf. And from there, that's kind of how it evolved. Um, I did a few trips overseas, went to a place called Mission Hills, which I didn't know existed until I read about it. It's uh, Disneyland for golfers. And uh, after a few trips there, I thought, hey, once I get out of accounting, maybe I can do this and uh, sat down, business plan, and away I went. Before we therefore get on to the business, let me, I just need to go back to the pink jacket. Um, so whose idea was a pink jacket and how important is it when you're building a, a golf tour or travel with a group of mates, that you have some sort of prize, be it ridiculous or otherwise? Uh, well, the pink jacket came about because one of the guys in the group uh, had a manufacturing business that made uh, suits. And we thought, well, the green jacket, uh, everyone's playing for that. We want a pink jacket. So he made this jacket, which was a small size, which we had framed. And uh, every year as the guys would win it, we had plaques around it to, uh, to award to the, uh, the worthy winner. Of, uh, of our tour. So the pink jacket ran for oh, 10, 12 years and uh, it was well sought after each time. And what, what led to the demise of the pink jacket? Sorry, I'm already getting off track, but I'm interested okay. in, in momentum of when you've got friends going away playing golf and life sometimes gets in the way. And I only mention this because I was lucky enough to play in an event um, that celebrated its 40th consecutive year. Uh, this year between Christmas and New Year called the Walker Cup and it's the real one, not that amateur crap that they play for in the US <laughs> yes. uh, and, and the UK. Um, so what was it that led to, that, that allowed 10, 10 or 12 years was a cap? Well, I hope the rest of the guys aren't listening because if it wasn't for me to run the event every year, it didn't happen. Yeah, right. And uh, I, I kind of got uh, tied up with work and other commitments and I thought, look, it's time someone else takes over the reins. It didn't happen. And I thought, well, away we go. And uh, CG Golf was born out of that. Well, it's not a bad outcome, is it, from a little trip along the Murray? 
Oh, it's, it's turned out to be uh, an absolute godsend for me because after I uh, sold the accounting practice and uh, consulted for a while and uh, moved away from that, the golf business really took off. Now, just just last question about the Murray. What is the the go to Murray destination that that oh, everyone most looked forward to playing? Well, the first trip I ever did was to Swan Hill. It was the year that it had opened, and we flew up there, only to find out six months later the airline we used was decommissioned as being unairworthy. <laughs> so, in future years, we uh, we caught the train. So Swan Hill was was always very special, but Yarrawonga was a, a terrific trip because it was easy to get to. Great courses, terrific facilities, and uh, we really enjoyed it there. But look, all the courses along the Murray have their value and their worth, and they're all great to play. Um, they are, they certainly are. I agree with you about Yarrawonga. And if anyone ever goes to Swan Hill, Murray Downs is a cracking track. But Swan Hill City, as long as the races aren't on, um, is well worth the uh, is well worth the walk. Um, because one of the again one of the quirks of Swan Hill City Golf Club is that because it's built in and around a racetrack, all the trees are cut off at about eight feet. So you've got these beautiful bushes and then the tops are trimmed dead flat so that the race caller can actually see the horses when they're far side of the track. But there's something stupid for everyone to put in their, their travel banks. Now, more importantly, apparently we've had some issues over the last couple of years um, and despite Shooter and I, uh, as we've said a number of times, dismissing it as a, a small flu, it seemed to have a bit of an impact on golf, travel and everyone's life and, 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 and the negatives of all of that. But but there seems to be a little bit of a vibe coming back in post-COVID where people are allowing themselves to dream again. So what's the level of interest at the moment in inquiry at the moment? Well, Phil, the inquiries are starting to return. People are feeling more comfortable about thinking about travel and uh, we're seeing more and more people looking to destinations away from our traditional markets in uh, in Asia but looking more towards uh, Europe, Scotland, Ireland. Of course, New Zealand is always popular. So the interest in the demand is is certainly increasing once again. Now, because Kipper is a big fan of name dropping, um, I happened to drop you a line the other day to find out whether you'd be interested in, in coming on and having a chat on the podcast. And you said, look, I can. I'm just somewhere else at the moment. Now, where was that somewhere else, just so that you can annoy me? Oh, I can't annoy you. That somewhere else was uh, at St Andrews in Scotland. (laughs) I was invited uh, to apply and uh, was fortunate enough to be successful in being accepted to attend the Scottish Golf Tourism Week where we started at St Andrews. Then I had a week up in the Highlands where we visited all the the famous and not-so-famous courses around the Highlands, including Nairnroyal Dornoch, Castle Stewart, uh, Nairn Dunbar and many others. Then back to have, uh, over a couple of days, 40-odd meetings with suppliers in Scotland, um, tour operators, transport companies to put together some great experiences going forward. And after that, I nicked across to Ireland to uh, meet up with the stakeholders. We're working closely with the PGA of Australia to run a uh, sanctioned pro-am event in Ireland in uh, April 2023 for 30 vocational pros and 90 amateurs joining in. So you're out on that one, Kipper. Um, so it sounds very much like a, a, um, a similar business to the accounting practice then if you're travelling to Scotland for a travel meeting and then you get to go and look at all these golf courses and then just whip across to Ireland and plan some more golf. Uh, it couldn't be more diverse from where you've come from to where you are now. Absolutely. Um, the amount of time we spent behind a desk 
research and keeping up to date with uh, legislation. The Tax Act uh, professional development was was incredible, but I loved every minute of it, uh, being in the accounting practice, working with clients, helping clients, uh, had a great staff team. But this... So you've, already sold, you've already sold the business, Steve. You don't have to sell it to us. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm just convincing myself of uh, what I liked at the moment. Yeah. But people say, do you miss the accounting practice? And I say, give me a moment. No. And yeah. uh, fortunately, I've... Uh, I've fallen into or created a space where uh, I just love ex- what I'm doing now. Yeah, where where's the so you mentioned that the inquiries are starting to come thick and fast. Where not only where are they planning on travel, but but are inquiries for short term, medium term, or long term? Like how how far in advance? If if there was a group of people who wanted to go to the US or go to Scotland, where are they at in terms of how far they should get onto things, how far in advance? Well, Phil, now's the time because uh, 2022 sold out. All the major destinations are uh, completely booked out. You can get uh, around a goal for uh, a few room nights here or there, but to plan that bucket list trip, you now start to be looking at 2023 because um, what we need to understand is if you wanted to play Royal Melbourne on Saturday, you just can't if you're not a member. Well, it's the same thing if you want to go play at Royal County Down. They only have a few days that are available to guests. If you want to play at St Andrews, then if you want to guarantee tea time, you need to work with an accredited operator who has those times. And it's, uh, you know, weather is a consideration because a lot of the courses, particularly in Scotland and Ireland, are closed during the winter months. So now's the time to be thinking, planning. And, and as I say to... To, to anyone, uh, Phil, if you're going on a trip next week, you've got a week to enjoy the experience of, oh, look, and the anticipation I'm going. If you're going in a year's time, you can enjoy that for a whole year as well as the time you're away. Sounds like a T-shirt. Now, from a, a travel point of view, how do you determine what countries to touch and what to leave alone? Like, how, like obviously, you've got a, a suite of golf courses and you could be running travel all over the world, but there are some areas that you'll always concentrate on. How do you determine... Where, where, to, where to go and, and where to leave? Sure. Well, the first thing is uh, for, for, for any people, it's, it's time and price. And Asia works perfectly well for, for time and price because uh, we know in Australia you've got to travel four and a half hours north or west just to leave the country. So getting to Asia, uh, to Hong Kong, for example, nine hours or whether it's Thailand or Vietnam, similar times, and then it's a question of, of cost, and Asia is certainly cost competitive. Um, people who are looking to go to, to Europe or the States, they're not going for a week. It's usually two weeks plus, and, of course, that, that also comes at a price. So it's, it's different horses for different courses. It depends what people are after. We can assist. But um, we, we, we tend to avoid the places where there's long distances or a long amount of travel between your hotel and the golf. People don't want to be three hours each way in a car or play at a destination that's got one great course and two or three average courses and think, why have I spent this money to travel all this way to play something that's nowhere near the standard of the course I regularly play? So we communicate with our clients. We want to know what it is they're after and then we can put together a bespoke tour specifically to meet their requirements. How do you determine in the first place, though, from your point of view, in terms of what courses and destinations you put on your menu? I mean, you mentioned going to Mission Hills very early on. You mentioned going to Murray Downs very early on. But but how do you determine where is going to be a suitable 
location or is there just an encyclopedia, a travel encyclopedia that everyone just throws stuff at you or is it Junket Central? How, what's the, how do you work out where you're going to take people? I work out by attending uh, golf conventions through IAGTO, the International Golf Tour Operators Association. And we have uh, in face-to-face meetings, of course, the last two years that hasn't happened, but the Scottish Golf Tourism Week, for example. Um, And uh, also I I try not to send people to places I haven't been to. Um, And once I understand the logistics of the destination, the courses available, uh, then it's easier for me to to put together a package suitable to the client's requirements. But if someone comes to me with a a destination or um, courses I haven't played, I can reach out to people within the industry who I know, listen to them, get their uh, reviews and and get a package put together for for that destination. But I make it clear to the client I've not been there before. Okay. Well, when you look at, at various locations at the moment, and we've got the iconic, your standard bucket listers, and then as you mentioned, Asia. Um, so golf's in a really interesting place um, as is travel and in spite of the, the COVID situation. But if you look at golf in Asia, Vietnam's going bananas. Um, Thailand's got some cracking tracks. I mean, is there is there somewhere in Asia that you would say does it best? Yes. Uh well, Mission Hills having 12 golf courses, 10 of which are available to guests on the mainland, and then another 10 volcanic courses on Hainan Island. Uh, that's Disneyland for golfers. You unpack your suitcase once, you've got all the courses at your doorstep. Fabulous food. The, the, the courses are, are, are all eclectic. You know, it's not each course looks the same. They all play differently. But as you say, Vietnam is going off, particularly in Da Nang. Um, Hoi An Shores... Uh, is just a magnificent golf course along with the uh, Luke Donald uh, Bana Hills, uh, Nick Faldo's uh, Laguna Lanco, Greg Norman's BRG Dunang, and Nicholas has just opened a course next door to Norman's course. Uh, Montgomery Links is always popular, so there's lots of golf in and around Dunang. But the beauty of these destinations, particularly now Dunang, is you get out of the golf courses and you get out in, in amongst the cities and the the local markets, the food, the entertainment, and uh, embrace the culture of the destination rather than just being in a hotel. And how important is is that total mix? Like for the the clients of yours that have come back and said, loved it, how much of it starts with the golf was awesome versus I never knew that. And we'll use Dunang as an example because there's a strong Australian influence there with my mate Rod Marshall uh, at his driving range. Like how, yes. how important is that? that local um, embracing that and when people rave about a, a trip, the, is, does the golf become a, yeah, I ticked off the golf thing, but I cannot believe what I discovered? Well, that, that's an interesting uh, point, Phil. Some people go to these resorts and never leave them and they're really excited and happy about their experience. But what I do is I take them away from the resorts down to the local fish market or into a restaurant or market and then <laughs> – and when we go to the uh, to the fish markets, we tend to end up drinking with the locals as well. We get them to come and join us at the table because we're a bit of a novelty. And people come away with that as the highlight of their experience. They certainly remember the golf, but all the extra uh, things that they'll experience really make for the trip. So of your locations, because um, one thing that, that I'm of the belief that Australia hasn't yet quite embraced um, – 
from a golf point of view, this idea of service. And, and if you had 10,000 golf travellers come from North America where they go to elite golf courses in North America and they get wowed and feel like they're the king, Australia, I think, is still sort of lacking that. So who does the golf experience best as far as your locations or, or primary locations? Who just nails every element whereby if I wanted to feel like the king of the world uh, or queen, um, I can just walk in there and know that I'm going to get everything I've ever wanted? Well, as you said, Phil, uh, the US know how to do it best. Service is, is so uppermost there and, uh, and it's expected everywhere you go. Uh, the, the service you certainly get in, in Ireland and Scotland is, is, is up there as well. Um, we're a bit more laid back here and uh, when I do get guests coming to Australia, it's it's really a matter of educating them of, of the differences and uh, once they're aware of that, that's fine. The, the Asian golfers that come here are certainly not used to no caddies, um, a, a level of service they're, they're not used to where they've got to do a few things themselves. Um, but I, I don't think we need to change a lot, but I think uh, it's a matter of educating the, the, the golfers coming to Australia of, of what's on offer here. The golf is fantastic, but don't expect that, uh, that level of, uh, let's call a troon service that you would get overseas. So what, what difference might it make were we to embrace that here? And how much of that should we be educating the people travelling and how much of it should we be saying to the courses here, just step it up a little bit? And, and in that, what can we learn from the best? Like what, what, would the, the, what do the best do that we don't? Well, the best, the best always have a golf concierge. As a group arrives, there's somebody that takes that group under their wing, will take them to golf registration, help them get to their golf carts, make sure that anything they want's organised. Uh, they're not looking around wondering who to ask, where do I go, what do I do. Um, we've spent a bit of time with golf courses up in Queensland trying to help them to become China ready because prior to COVID, there was an enormous influx of um, Chinese golfers and they are not really good travellers and certainly on the golf course, they they have a, an enormously high expectation of things, particularly from the golf clubs they're coming from. So if golf clubs can be, if you like, Chinese ready with things written in Chinese or, or a Chinese speaker to assist the group, that would certainly be helpful. The people who come from uh, Scotland and Ireland, and I've got a few mates that come out every year, they're cool. They, they get it, they understand it, the language is not a problem and, uh, and their expectations are met. But, but certainly the Asian golfer, uh, they have a completely different uh, concept of, of what's, uh, what's expected at a golf course when they arrive. Because the idea of caddies is something that is unique, and I know being lucky enough to to play in, in that place you were in Scotland, um, but also a couple of places in Asia where caddies are just they're just part of. Um, it's mandatory, yes. Yeah, it's part of the the package. Um, how how what is the difference between because obviously we we have an interesting view of caddies because of Kipper and obviously his ability to get fired by everybody multiple times. <laughs> what, what is it that a good caddy does to add to the experience and where are the best caddies? And, and could Australia actually benefit from giving some young people an opportunity who are you know, young members of golf courses to, to put 
clubs. To answer your talk. first question, uh, last question first. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be fantastic if uh, if a caddy service was available. I know some of the leading courses now make it mandatory for uh, for caddies with international groups. I think that's more to keep the the pace of play and the direction of where yeah. they're going. But having a caddy experience, particularly in a royal, where you're not quite sure what line to take and uh, what the right direction is, and it certainly enhances uh, the golf experience. Um, every golf course I play for the first time overseas where available, I always take a caddy because they're great to chat to, but uh, they, they make the experience so much more enjoyable. Uh, they'll give you the line off the tee. And on some courses, as you'd know, overseas, blind tee shots, you've got no idea. You look at a white rock and you think that's the spot, but given today's conditions, it might be, 10, 20, 30 metres left of that, and the caddy's going to help you around. They'll also help you or tell you about their experiences, who they've caddied for and the like. So the, the best caddies are the guys and girls who are doing it as a profession or they're quality golfers. Um, you go to a place like Royal Dornoch and you'll probably get some of the, uh, the junior pennant girls or boys being a caddy, and they're great because they're fabulous golfers, but they live those golf, those golf courses and know them so well. In Asia... Um, some of the girls are, are young and you you want to get the, the more experienced caddies and we have a great relationship with, with caddies all through Asia. So when we're sending people, particularly to Mission Hills, I will have organised all the caddies in advance and they're all good English-speaking girls uh, and they're, they're pleased to help. Uh, as a, a kid, I, I caddied for um, a golf pro you may know uh, called Jack Harris and uh, the Victorian PGA trophy is named after him. A legend. And and, and the, the, the word used to be around in those days, turn up, keep up and shut up. And uh, He never would know, have said that, though. Not to me. No, not to me. He would have said, uh, if, you'd, if you'd like to actually walk uh, at an equal cadence to me, and that would be great and we'll get along. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was Jack. Oh, Jack. Jack was a magnificent ball striker and a terrific gentleman. But caddies certainly add to the experience and uh, – and they're mandatory in uh, in all Asian countries. And often we have groups that go away and they want to bring their caddy back because they've had the best experience reading the greens and uh, choosing clubs. And they come back here and they've got to drag their own clubs, clean the clubs and pick their own line so they're a bit lost when they return home. And I think there's, there's one other thing that I'd recommend just about caddies is their ability to, if you're prepared to pick their brain about things that aren't golf, to your point, about life or the lifestyle and things you, you walk away with an incredible experience and I know when I was lucky enough to play both new and old at, at St Andrews and, and at Caddy Lewis um, so Louis we were, we were walking around and and of the guys that I was playing with um, he was the only one who pointed out to me about the stone markers on the old that dictated mm-hmm. where was farming and hunting land and where was golf land and the others didn't even get to see them and, and I made that point to him at the end I said you're you're tour guide you're not just Golf God. And so if you're willing to actually be quiet and listen to them, you can learn enormous amounts of information. Oh, it's wonderful to talk to to the people. I've been fortunate with uh, my caddy in China. I've um, helped her uh, her education somewhat to learn English and uh, I had the pleasure of being invited back to their village some years ago and going back to see where rural China is um, – and meet her parents and make dumplings with her grandmother was an experience I'll never forget. Yeah. And when you see the humble beginnings 
where these girls have come from, you know why they're prepared to work so hard to uh, to make a living, but also to to help support their families. Um, yeah. So the contribution is beyond just oh, I've just got to pay a caddy because I'm walking around. I mean, you are you, you have the ability through this ongoing connection to change lives. Well, that's that's true, and uh, some of our guests are are, are incredibly generous and. Uh, they see that the money's not just going to support the caddy, but the, the, the caddy's family. And we have a lot of guests who've maintained uh, internet relationships, uh, just chatting and talking. Uh, we've been invited to, to caddy's weddings and family functions. Uh, it, it's amazing. So, yes, you're right, Phil. You, you, you can make a difference to people's lives, and uh, we're fortunate enough that, that we can do that. Um, now, getting on to the dreaming side, because ultimately um – you know, travel is about dreaming of a destination or experience or, or something else. And when we spoke, um, going back some time, we were talking about St Andrews and we used Scotland and Ireland as an example, um, is that people want to travel to bucket list destinations. How do you balance that with the places that they just should play as opposed to the places that they want to play? Well, that's an interesting, uh, interesting thought, Phil. If I told somebody I've got a trip to you, for you at, uh, in Scotland, that's St Andrews, but you're not going to be anywhere near the old course, the new course, Jubilee, Castle, Duke. They're going to say, uh, I'll find another tour operator. And if you say to someone, let's go to Monterey Peninsula and not play Pebble Beach, they're going to do the same. So we need to have that jewel in the crown being that trophy course at a destination, but then include the hidden gems in the district and the area that uh, people would otherwise not not play. For example, if you go into Northern Ireland, everyone wants to play, of course, Royal County Down, but no one talks about Ardglass, which is not far away, which is one of the most magnificent courses. You see the ocean on every hole. The members are amazing, and it's got the oldest clubhouse in the world. So we want to introduce those courses and destinations and experiences to people by travelling there ourselves, but also suggesting to people how about we include these in your tour? And, and seriously, Phil, most people don't know what they want. They know they want a trip. They want a trip to Scotland or they want a trip to Ireland. But apart from those half a dozen must-play courses, they don't know and we put the rest together for them. Yeah, so that, I think that's an interesting point, though, is that how do you then ascertain whether someone – so I come to you and I'm interested in going to – to Scotland, how do you determine whether or not I'm my thirst for playing um, a Rosa Pen or an Ascoonish or a Macrahanish versus a, a St Andrews or a you know Cruden Bay or a, a Doorknock? Um, and then how do you then marry up me with others? Or is the is your optimum that I that a group come to you? And if that is the case, how big? What's your ideal number? Uh, interesting. The first thing we do is we talk to the client. They make an inquiry either through their golf club, through our website, uh, through social media, and I'll pick up the phone and talk to them, find out about their handicap, how long they've got to travel, what are their expectations, are there any must-play courses, because a lot of golfers have done their research and they've got the top 100 courses and they want to tick this one off and that one off. Then I'll make suggestions, but then I'll go to uh, local operators that I use at a destination and say, righto, this is what the client's looking for. How do we fill in the dots to get the right balance of those trophy courses with the 
the other courses in the district. But then we also want to find out is, do they want to play every day? Do they need space between rounds? Uh, and if they want space, do they want us to organise a guided tour or something special, whether it's out on a fishing trawler to go and catch the morning breakfast, or do they want to go to a distillery and spend some time learning how to make gin or whiskey? So it's communication is king in this business. We want to find out what it is the client wants, not just sell them something. Now, we'll put together escorted packages where we know what people uh, may like, and we've always got free days where we can add things based on what people's desires are. Uh, the ultimate group size, look, we have groups of twos going away. We've got groups of 12s and 20s. Once you get over 24 for an organised trip, it, it's probably uh, the maximum size. But uh, I've had uh, some weeks where we've had common dates of different golf clubs and social groups going to, to China, and we've had 108 people in the grand ballroom for a Chinese banquet dinner, and that's fine too. So numbers is really dependent on what people are looking for. Is there a sweet spot, though? Is there a, you know, yeah, that, six, like that, six is just dream or eight is dream? Well, eight, eight's dream because it's so easy. Yeah. Uh Trying to do things outside of the groups of four is more difficult. It also adds to the cost because all transfers are usually done in fours. Golf carts and groups are in fours. Uh, you want to avoid those single supplements. But look, I, I do work with golf clubs and we'll have 36 people and they'll have a ball because we'll have a comp. The pro will get to play with most of the people. We'll organise group dinners. We'll move, make sure everyone moves around in the evenings. We'll go out and about. Um, so it, it really depends on the nature of the group. But if I'm hosting a group, 2024 is is the sweet spot. Uh, if a golf club's doing a group and, and we've got more than that, no problem at all. All right. Now we need to go through some um, best destination four. So I'm just going to throw some things at you and I want your, your number one response for each one. So if I'm, so from a golf point of view, the best destination that you've been to that will test my skill if I'm a bit of a big deal like Kipper and I want to put my game to the test? Well, there's uh, there's brute golf courses wherever you go. Um, Mission Hills, as I say, has got 12 courses and one course there is the Greg Norman course and that's an absolute brute. And uh, a lot of people come off that course and say, I never want to play it again. And as soon as they book again, that's the first one I've got to try it again. Look, there are courses in Hawaii that have got ridiculous uh, course ratings. Koalau is one that comes to mind. Uh, you play that once and you don't want to play it again. Um, what about purely for vistas in, in terms of in terms of uh, views and just breathtaking views? Where am I playing? Uh, the, the Wild Atlantic Way in Ireland is ju just absolutely amazing. Uh, the coastline at Doonbeg, um Lahinch just up the road, Bally Bunyan, that, that, you can stand on the tees. But we're so fortunate to have uh, the courses down on King Island yeah. where rounds will take you five, five and a half hours because you just stand there and have a look because the views are just spectacular. Uh, yeah, and I think, uh, look, having, been, again, been lucky enough to, to play Wickham and Ocean Dunes, uh, it, is, uh, it is extraordinary. What about condition? Who, from a golf course point of view, where can you go and you just always know it's going to be perfect? The States. The States is always the best. They've got the money and the time to put into it and the weather, particularly in the southern part of the country. Um, you know, 
golf in Scotland and Ireland, uh, you're never going to get the ball sitting up like the Cooch de Grass does for us here in Australia. Uh, it's a different sort of course, different sort of conditions. Uh, in China, they tend to overwater the courses a little bit, particularly at Mission Hills because of the slope. If the fairways were running fast, the ball would never stop and the rounds would take six hours. The condition's good, but it's, uh, uh, as I say, the, the states present their courses in immaculate condition. It's just heavier. Um, all right. Well, when we talk about golf, we always talk about food and bev as part of the experience. Um, of course. It's not, it's not just first tee to 18th green. It's all the other gear. So so where am I going? Where's the best breakfast of any tour that I could possibly take? Oh, the, the, the best breakfast is uh, the Old Course Hotel at St Andrews, upstairs um, next door to the, the Road Hole Bar, which we'll come to later, I'm sure. The breakfast there is just amazing. Um, the, what, what, what's on offer is just uh, a five-star, six-star Michelin restaurant uh, quality and the view to match when you're looking down over the 18th hole. It's it's hard to get up for breakfast to get out and about. Um, can I just – I'll second to that, Phil, just to drop a name, that breakfast at Russick's is actually not too bad either, sitting on – Oh, that's underneath. for sure. Um, and what about then dinner? Where am I? So I'm now. I've got a private jet. I'm feeling a bit like Tiger Woods, and I'm popping all over the world. Where am I going for the most spectacular dinner? Oh, most spectacular dinner. Oh, or uh, nicest. Well, oh, the best dinner for me is um, I get a bus take you from Mission Hills on Hainan Island to the million square metre local seafood uh, market where there's 200 metres of uh, fishmongers. We've got one restaurant we go to. We pick the fish. We get to the restaurant. The other 40 restaurant managers are trying to get us all come to my restaurant. No, we've got the one we go to. And they steam up all the food fresh for us there. And uh, I'll go to the local bottle shop and buy a couple of bottles of the local Baijiu. And uh, we all have shot glasses of that. Drink lots of beer and get all the locals to, to enjoy. We're all singing and dancing by the end of the night. Uh, in amongst the locals. So, so that to me is always a special occasion. And then what about on course? Who does on course best? So so it, it is often a lament when you're playing in Australia that I'm 15 holes in and I haven't seen the drink cart. Um, or when you do, uh, as might have been our experience at Christmas time, you, you get someone who's less than um, kind potentially sitting behind the wheel of a drinks cart. So, so who does on course food and bev best? Again, the Americans, they, uh, I think they, uh, they know what the clients want and they're, they're out and about and every three or four holes you're seeing a, uh, a drinks cart less uh, with lots of drink, lots of food. And, uh, and, and again, we talked about service before. The Americans know how to put the encore service for uh, right in front. Um, so, so then getting back to what you're saying about the, um, the road hole bar, who, where's the best... Nineteenth hole. If well, really Road Hole Bar is is just an amazing place, but also Tipplers downstairs um, is is a wonderful place to have a drink. It's uh, an old bar that you sit. Um, again, I'll drop uh, names, but or, or experiences. I I played with some people from America. We met for a few drinks at five o'clock down at Tipplers, and uh, by the end of the evening, there are about thirty of us watching people walk up seventeen and eighteen. At ten thirty at night at St Andrews, uh, so that's always a great place to have a drink. Um, Russick's, I uh, just went to Russick's recently, and they've just opened a rooftop bar as well. 
overlooking the 18th, and that's going to be very special. Uh, at Mission Hills on Heinen Island, uh, there's a Ritz-Carlton on the other side of the golf course, and we organise a drinks night up there, which is which is always very special. But, uh, look, I guess anything with a drink and a golf course attached is always a, a good place to have a drink. And what's the best bar, what's the best golf course bar as opposed to, because the other pub in, in St Andrews town next to Oxalonis is, is outstanding, but what's the best golf course bar? Well... Dunvegan at uh, at St Andrews, it's not quite a golf course bar, but it's a pub that every golfer seems to gravitate to. Yeah, so, so, so that's uh, quite quite a special place. Um, uh, Trumps at uh, at Doombeg, that's uh, a very very popular place, uh, and, and they have a, a fantastic selection of of drink. Now, so now, look, yeah. uh, it, it's. I tend to find it's the people, not necessarily the venue, that make the uh, the nineteenth hole so much more fun. Yeah, the atmosphere. Do golf club specific drinks still exist? This is something that Shooter and I have been banging on for a while. Is that when when I think of Kingston Heath, I think of a Southley Buster, and when I think of La Trobe, I think of an Arnold Palmer. I don't even know where they serve an Arnold Palmer at La Trobe, but I'd assume they would. <laughs> um, not so much here, but maybe the one in Pennsylvania. But, but yes. the golf club specific drinks still exist as part of the experience whereby you've gone to Mission Hills, you've got to make sure you have this, or you've gone to um, Cruden Bay, you've got to make sure you have that, or is it? Well, not not, not so much. Particularly in Asia, the the drinking culture in Asia is uh, is certainly not around the golf club. Um, when when we have groups, we we tend to take over the bars more than the locals. Um, and uh, well, I'm not so sure about about specific drinks, but uh, I'm sure that's a a tradition that we can introduce, and uh, we can have a CGE special in every bar that we go to. I, I, but you I, and I'll have to try them first. That's right. Well, I encourage you to, to do it. I just think there's a, there's a missed opportunity. Now, now getting on to some, uh, as we close up, so some must plays and must visits. What's the most that you expected it to be a great outcome? And give me one where it was completely unexpected as a, as a where it all of a sudden becomes a, man, I've got to take as many people as possible here. Well, of course, the St Andrews experience, I went there uh, the first time not to play golf, and I've been back a few times since. But the whole experience in the village of St Andrews, and as you're walking down the 17th and 18th, and as you say, the old course, Russicks and uh, the clubhouse, that, that's just a um, uh, almost a religious experience of, of, of going to the Vatican. As a golfer, that's, that's a place you, you really want to, to experience at least once in your life. Um I'm fortunate to, to be playing at uh, Pebble Beach later this year before oh, the North here American Golf Tourism Convention. It's all for work, Phil, all work-related. But yeah. uh, I'll it's be time uh, you started dropping names. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the hidden gem, of course, is, as I said, Mission Hills is a, a venue in China with, with 12 golf courses. It, it really is something to behold. And, uh, and again, Vietnam is, and particularly Da Nang with all the courses there now, uh, it really is value for money. It's close to home and uh, and a place to go to. Queenstown in New Zealand, that's just a really special destination. Lots of great golf and all very close. And what's the standard? Yeah, as we move closer um, to home, so from a New Zealand point of view, what is the, the go-to? I mean, you've got, you've got that huge variety and everyone seems to come back with a slightly differing opinion on... Where is the the optimum 
first, first stop is Queenstown because you've got the proximity of the courses with the hills, Jack's Point, Arrowtown, Queenstown, uh, Millbrook. Um, and you can stay in one place and you just drive or, or bus it out to each of the courses and they're all great. But then, of course, you go up to the to the North Island and Cape uh, Kidnappers and Cowrie Cliffs and um, all the courses, Kinloch around Taupo and Tariti, of course. They're, they're, they're fantastic. The, 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 the difficulty with New Zealand is the, the season is so narrow and with a narrow season comes uh, price fluctuations. So it can get quite expensive different times of the year. Um, no worries. Now, now the, the last place, where have you played? So a little bit of name dropping to finish off. Where have you played that has blown you away? And, and more importantly, because this is really about dreaming and getting people to, to start thinking about the excitement, where is still on your bucket list that not only do you want to play but you know you are going to be able to play? Okay, let's, let's drop some names. Well, certainly I, I spent... Uh, a week or so, a few years back, travelling around Ireland. And Ireland, to me, is, is is really a wonderful destination to play golf. It's got some fabulous courses, wonderful hospitality. They drive on the same side of the road as us, so it's really easy to get around. And there's a lot of great courses in close proximity. Scotland, of course, with St Andrews, then you go up to the Highlands and play uh, the, the three uh, trophy courses up there with Castle Stewart, Nairn and Royal Dornoch. They're just Absolutely breathtaking golf and uh, Lynx golf is something we, we kind of experience a little bit of here. Uh, but, look, th- th- those those destinations are, are, are amazing. Pinehurst, of course, in North North Carolina. Uh, again, one destination with, uh, with nine courses now. And, of course, course number two where they've played many US Opens is, is really a treat. And there in particular you want to get a caddy and hear all the stories of the past. The places that uh, I'm planning to play, and I'm doing some work now with um, Spain and Portugal, so we're putting together some packages there, and of course there's Solheim Cup coming up and um, Ryder Cups coming up in the future, so we're looking at at Spain and Portugal, and later this year I've got a, uh, just about sold out, there's a few spots left, trip to South Africa, where we'll be playing in Cape Town, three rounds there, and then off to Fancourt, and playing three rounds there. So we're incorporating golf with a safari experience. So for the golfers and non-golfers, that's really great. I'm, I'm very excited to be uh, be travelling there later this year. So when you allow yourself to dream of playing golf, you have, you're have you given one last golf trip uh, and you allow yourself to dream and say, okay, th- this is it. It's all in. Where are you going from a dreaming point of view? Ah. Uh, I'd like to play Augusta National once. <laughs> yeah, right. I've I've walked it. I've Tea seen it. Tea times are tough, but uh, through a contact I've had an invite before, and uh, I'd pull on that uh, contact again. Or um, I think Cypress Point, if I could get onto there at Monterey, that would be really special too. Now, now, just to to finish on that, so you've you've got a standing invite. Let's call it a standing invite at Augusta but not at Cypress Point. So so would you say that Cypress is actually the toughest golf course to get onto in the world? Uh, pretty much. It's uh, You need to know someone who knows someone who knows someone very high and uh, be fortunate that someone who knows someone will be there at the day and time you want to play. Okay. So, well, uh, yeah. well, I'll see John what I can Sh- do. 
Sorry to cut you off, going. Yeah. I'll see what I can do. Hopefully when I'm there later this year, uh, I can manage a game. Well, if you can't, uh, then John from Chicago, who I'm sure is listening, uh, you have got a task ahead of you because John has promised me without actually promising me uh, Chicago um, Philly Country Club and Cyprus. We'll add Cyprus, John, to your, your list. Anyway, Steve, um, look, that's been fantastic. I think that the, the key point, is there a takeaway that you'd want to give people from a, a travel point of view in terms of either planning or daring to dream or otherwise? Well, Phil, as the catch cry is at the moment in a lot of my social media, stop dreaming and start planning. And really, uh, Australian golfers tend to plan 8, 10, 12 months ahead. And more than ever before, that's what they've got to start doing. Get your group together, see where you want to go, start planning for it, give yourself plenty of lead time and get those bookings in. We can secure places to just about anywhere in the world for you. We can plan a trip that'll suit your needs and requirements, but start the journey now. Otherwise, when you think it's time to go, you just might miss out. Uh, and by that stage, someone else might have eaten some weird animal and who knows what's going on around the world. So um, yes. on that note, we'll, on that note, we will bring this Tenuous Links podcast to a close. But, but the key point is don't be afraid to dream. Um, so thanks for listening, Barons. Um, just as a bit of an update, we've got um, season three is almost ready to go. We've got, uh, so look for that on, on Fox, Fox Sports Australia and KO. Our latest issue of Barons Life is available at golfbarons.com. Sign up and subscribe for all podcast and magazine updates. And Steve, I'll allow you to plug your website. It is www.cgegolf.com.au. Um, thanks for listening, Barons. Uh, and until next time, add some swaggity a swing and dream. <laughs>